an incredible opportunity to come together to worship the Lord on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Champion Force and excited to open up God's Word with you tonight. Um, as I do, I just got a quick question. Are there any Astros fans here? Anybody? Okay, good. Yeah, me too. Me too. So I, I love baseball, love the Astros, uh, grew up watching them. Uh, one of my dad's best friends when I was growing up uh, played for the Astros and his oldest son was my age and so we spent a lot of time with them. So I was all Astros all the time growing up and, and just got to have a lot of fun watching them over the years and it's always been a blast to me. Uh, going to games, I, vivid memories of coming home from baseball practice with my dad as a kid, listening to Milo Hamilton call the games on the radio. So just locked into it all the time and then, uh, you know, several years ago, we go through the 100 lost seasons back to back and over and over again. And then 2017, something magical happened, right? Well, it was magical for me. I don't know if it was magical for you too, but it was amazing, right? As the Astros go on this tear through the regular season, looking absolutely phenomenal, they get to the playoffs. And then uh, my wife, she, she bears with me on the Astros stuff. She's a fan too, um, but she indulges me from time to time. And so we get to the playoffs that year, and I... I just bought a lot of tickets to go to games. Um, and I went to every game at home against Boston. Then I went to every game at home against New York. And it was incredible. And we won some of those games in some pretty remarkable ways. You know, at the end, and there's walk-offs. And Altuve hit three home runs in that first Boston. Right? All these games. And we're just into it, right? And, and there's 45,000 people going nuts over and over and over again in unison, cheering and yelling and sort of having this emotional connection that results in loud cheers and praise of these guys that are down on the field and then we go to the World Series and it started on October 24th. That, I remember that because that's the day my wife and I were supposed to leave for our 10-year anniversary trip and I asked her if we could postpone it and she said no and I was in trouble for even asking uh, it, but, but it didn't stop me from watching right and so I watched the games in Spanish and was still super into it. And, and you guys are right there with me, right? I mean, you, the, the Astros, they just remember it, right? Game two against the Dodgers, what happens? Ninth inning, Marwin Gonzalez hits the biggest home run in Astros history, gets back into it. And I'm in my hotel room, and I'm sure there's people moving, right, rooms, because this crazy guy's yelling in the room next door to him the entire time. And it was just an absolutely incredible thing that, that elicited this emotional response from me. Right, and I'm cheering, and I'm yelling, and I'm excited, and I'm into it, and I just love it. It's so fun for me. And when they won the World Series, uh, just Game Seven, that that last out, it was just so cool to finally witness and, and get to feel like you were a part of something like that. And some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy, and I, I might be a little bit too crazy when it comes to this. But it's not just me; it's you too. You have your thing. It might not be the Astros. It might be something else, right? You might be a Longhorn or an Aggie or a Bear or, you know, you might like a certain restaurant or a certain bakery. You might go nuts for your kids, for your grandkids, whatever it is. There's these things that we're really passionate about, right, that, that get our emotions and our blood pressure pumping, that get us all in to whatever it is. And we've all got them, right? We've all got them. And as I read God's Word this week, Revelation chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, you can begin to open it up. As I read Revelation chapter 4 this week and began to think on what God's Word was teaching us there, I thought of those different things in my life, and I realized that, that all of that excitement, all of that emotion that I have for these other things should absolutely pale in comparison right, to my excitement and to our worship of a holy God. 
right? There's nothing that should get me more excited, nothing more passionate, nothing that should elicit a greater or more passionate response than my response, than your response as believers to God. So if you've got Revelation chapter 4 open, I want to give us some context here. We've gone through the letters to the churches. This is the chapter that's following that. We're going to continue through the book of Revelation, but, but up first in Revelation chapter 1, we've got the vision that John has, and he sees what is, and then from there, we've got the letters, and then from the letters, we've got this next part of the book of Revelation, and we'll dive into that a little bit more, but I want to read through Revelation chapter 4, and then I want us to slow down and walk through it together. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Revelation 4. If not, I believe it'll be on the screen behind us. Revelation 4, starting in verse 1, says this. After this, I looked, and behold, there was a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around that throne were 24 thrones. And seated on these 24 thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around that throne, on each side of the throne, there are four living creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Listen, Revelation chapter 4 has so much so much for us to take in, so much for us to, to, to seek, to understand. And that's what we should be doing as, as we open God's word, seeking to understand it so that we can live it out in our life. So I want to slow down and walk through these verses to, to give us a clearer picture of what John sees here in chapter 4. And as we do, my hope and my prayer, and, and honestly my thought and expectation is that this natural desire is going to well up in our hearts. And our only response, our one response, is going to be to worship God. That's your first blank to fill in if you're taking notes. Our response here from this text is going to be to worship God. Let's look back at verse 1. Again, it says, after this, I looked up. This is John, right? 
He's exiled. He's on the island. He looks up and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. Look at the first two words of verse 1. What are they? After this. Look at the last two words. What are they? After this. We're talking about two different things here, right? As we read God's word, we've got to seek and know and understand when we see things like this. So after this, at the very beginning of the verse, makes us go backwards and look and see, okay, after what? What's going on that he would be referencing? At the very beginning, the verse uh, 1, he's referencing uh, back to what's going on with John, right? Chapter 1, we see he's given instructions to write down what he sees to write down, that's the vision of Jesus that he sees in verse one, in chapter 1. He's given the instruction to write down what is. That's the letters to the seven churches that's going on there. And then he's to write down what's to come. And so he's written the letters. The next thing for him is to write down what's to come. This incredible work in the book of Revelation. After this, he's written it. And then he gets this invitation. Right After this, there's an invitation. I want to look at the invitation real quick. So look in verse 1 at it. We have a voice like a trumpet. Whose voice? It's Jesus' voice. We see that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. This is the voice of Jesus giving him this invitation. It says like a trumpet. It's strong. It's authoritative. It's royal. It's regal. It's this powerful voice coming from heaven that we know is Jesus's. In the invitation, it's, hey, come up here. We're going to see in verse 2, up here is heaven, right? There's this invitation from Jesus to John to come up through a door into heaven. And heaven's mentioned 50 times throughout the book of Revelation. So as we continue to study it, we're going to learn a whole lot about heaven on Wednesday nights. And I'm very excited about that. And the last thing I want to make sure we're clear on with this invitation is there's a purpose behind it. Right? There's a purpose behind Jesus saying, come up here into heaven. It's not a break from his exile. Right? It's not to give him a rest from Patmos. Right? There's a specific purpose to this invitation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it says this. This is Jesus talking to John. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are, and those are to take place after this. This invitation has purpose to show John what's going to take place after this so he can write it down for us to know read and begin to understand so as as this book progresses we're no longer on John's timeline right this is no longer John walking through the island of Patmos this is God's timeline right we see a shift from the this church age with these letters to the seven churches to this dramatic scene in heaven and it's going to unfold over the next several chapters of the book of Revelation. And in these chapters, we're going to see what, what John saw. We're going to read what he was instructed to write down back in Revelation chapter 1, the purpose of this incredible invitation. And that's important for us to catch, right? We're going to be working our way methodically through the book of Revelation. And if we keep reading here without seeing this switch in chapter 4, we're going to be a little bit confused and maybe even a little bit frustrated as we walk through it. So we're transitioning now to this heavenly experience that John has. And with that in mind, I love chapter 4 because we get our first glimpse of this picture, this description of heaven as John paints such a powerful 
picture. And as we walk through this, as we see this, as we understand this, as we look at heaven together tonight, I think we're going to have one response. And it's the next outline or blank in your outline. And I think our response is going to be to worship God. And you might be saying you already said that. I know I've said it again because I think that that's the response that it's going to elicit from us. And we're going to worship God as we seek to understand what he's telling us here in Revelation chapter 4. Verse 2 says this, at once, so he's been invited, come up here. He sees a door, it's leading to heaven. At once, John, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So he's been invited. I want that invitation, right? He's been invited Right up to heaven, and once he's there, he goes through the door in the spirit into the presence of God. Right? He's in heaven. Think about that. Let that sink in for just a second, right? He's exiled. He's alone. He's by himself on an island, stuck with no hope, nowhere to go. And all of a sudden, from this invitation of God, he's in heaven. And look at what he says. What's he say? The first thing. I was in the spirit, and what? And behold... He says, behold, to get our attention. His language is so critical and important for us to understand there. I'm not sure that my language or the way that I use my language is even strong enough to accurately depict what's going on here. I use words like awesome or incredible or love or powerful all the time about really trivial things. Today I call the cookie awesome. Right? Seriously? The cookie's not awesome. This is awesome, but I call the cookie awesome. I mean, think about the last thing you said was incredible. I had a five-year-old baseball practice this afternoon. I sort of hurt my back, so if I fall, somebody come read my notes. Um, this kid threw it to first base. I was like, that was incredible. No, it wasn't. It rolled halfway there, right? But I'm using these powerful words, right, to depict things that aren't truly incredible. Cody, you know what I'm talking about, right, that aren't truly and incredibly powerful. And I think we all do that. Right? We try to capture things with our words. And, and here John's trying to capture what's going on with his words. He's writing it down. He knows that people are going to be reading this. So he says, behold. Right? Behold. He, he says, stop. Look. Listen. Lock in to what's going on here. Don't miss this. You've got to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. John's blown away by what he sees and his excitement. Right, carries over into the way that he communicates. And I hope for us it carries over into the way that we read it. That we don't just read behold and keep going, but that we sense his excitement. That we sense his expectation and we lock into it and feel that same excitement and expectation about what he's about to tell us. Right? The first thing he tells us about in heaven is what? Look in verse 2. It's the throne. Right? He tells us about the throne in heaven. Think about that. He's looking at the throne in heaven and he gets to tell other people about it. He sees the throne and he's absolutely blown away. It's mentioned 40 times throughout the book of Revelation. It's got to be this powerful picture. He keeps going back to it. It's appeared before in scripture as well, right? You're probably thinking of some times in Isaiah, right? Isaiah chapter 6 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne sitting upon the throne high and lifted up in Psalm 47 8 the writer says God reigns over the nations as he is seated on his holy throne right this throne in heaven it's an incredible thing and look at what he says about the throne the throne did what the throne sat in heaven the throne was in heaven the throne was placed in heaven 
No, the throne stood in heaven. The words are important. The throne stood in heaven. It's not going to falter. It's not going to fall. It's not going to change. The throne is set, standing in heaven, immovable. And as you read verse 2, one of the most incredible things about the throne is this. It's not empty. Right? It's not empty. John sees someone, John sees God sitting on the throne. Listen, we worship a reigning king that's on the throne, sitting and ruling from the throne of heaven. Look at verse 3. And he who sat there, he's talking about God. Right? John is in the presence of God. He's looking at the heavenly throne. He sees God sitting on the throne. He says, he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. And carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow. It had the appearance of an emerald. God seated on the throne. And it's important for us to think about what that means. This seated position does not indicate he's taking a rest. This isn't God taking a break. This is God reigning from the royal throne in heaven. Authoritative. He's sovereign. God is in control from the throne. And as we read this, this is a reminder for us, a perfect reminder for us that God is far above everything, everything in view, everything in perspective, and that he is in control of all that ever was and all that ever will be. Because God is on the throne. He's not hiding. He's not missing anything. God, seated on the throne, reigning and ruling from the throne, is fully aware of all that's going on in full control. Look back in, in your Bibles. Look at verse 3. Look, look, at how, look at how John describes him. Right? With the appearance of, of Jasper and Carnelian. If you've got a New American Standard or another translation, it might even say of Jasper and Sardius, right? That, that's the same as the Carnelian stone there here in this context. And, and either way, it's two very brilliant stones that John's using for the description, radiating vivid colors and light back at them. In Revelation 21, we'll, we'll see as we get closer to the end of the book, we see that that Jasper, it, it's crystal clear, it, it's diamond-like, reflecting different colors and lights and facets back as John looks on. And the carnelian stone is this deep red, like a, a deep, fiery, bloody, ruby Red. So, so just imagine what he's looking at on the throne, right? The beauty and the power, getting a glimpse of the majesty and the splendor and the glory of God in heaven. And here's another interesting thing to note about those stones as we dig in and look a little bit. These are the first and the last stones mentioned in Exodus chapter 28. As the writer is describing the breastplate of the high priest. Right, maybe mentioning, representing the firstborn and the lastborn of Jacob. So on this, he sees, right, right tied in with these stones, tied in with the colors that, that are represented there, we see a picture of God's covenant relationship with his people, Israel. So in the very description of God seated on the throne, we see the faithfulness of God to his people. What an incredible picture and around the throne back in verse 3 around the throne what is there there's a rainbow that's circling that's around the throne again pointing us to the faithfulness of God to always keep his promises this is an incredible picture I see why John said behold right getting our attention locking us in to what's going on here because there's truly no one or nothing like our God think about if that was you 
coming up with the words, coming up with, how do you write that down? How do you capture that? How do you pass that on for someone to see, hear, know, and understand? Just an incredible picture of God seated on the throne. Look at verse 4. Around that throne, there's more. 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed with white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. So surrounding the throne of God, there's 24 other thrones with 24 elders. You all thought the same thing that I did when I read this. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? You see 24 people on thrones sitting around God. What are you thinking right now? Who is that? How do I get that seat? That sounds incredible, right? So John's like, wait a minute, I see some people here. And if you're me, you're thinking, I want to... I want to go there. That, that sounds like a great place to be, right? So, so who are these people that are sitting around the throne of God? I'm going to let Pastor Ed come up. I'm just joking, Ed, right, to, to explain that. Listen, here's the deal. There's several, he probably could come up and do it. There's several discussions around who they are, right? There's a lot of discussions by people that are a lot smarter than me. But, but I'll tell you a few things. Some people might point to them as angels sitting on thrones uh, around God. Some might point to them as redeemed people, people that God has saved over the course of history that are now sitting around the throne of God and, and wrestling with this and talking through this. Um, you know, talking to Pastor David a little bit yesterday and this afternoon, looking at that, we sort of land and think that those are people sitting on the throne, the people that God has saved, that are redeemed, maybe even representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles in the New Testament, right? But, but, but either way, right, we would think that, that they're people and not angels for a couple of reasons, and I'll blow through them quick, and I don't want to get hung up on it because what they do is significantly more important than who they are in this chapter. But I'll give you a few reasons why I would point to them as being people whom God has saved. What are they wearing on their heads in verse 4? They're wearing crowns and they're sitting on what? They're sitting on thrones and they're wearing crowns. They're reigning with God, right? They're reigning with God. And we see that in scripture. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. Right? It's a promise to believers. It's in Matthew 19. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as well, right? We're promised that we'll reign with Christ. And the second reason that we point to them as believers, redeemed people, is they're called elders, Right? Nowhere in scripture are angels referred to as elders. But in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it refers to people, right? Faithful people, believers, right? Righteous people as, as elders. And then the third reason is this, is they're dressed in white. And right? we're going to see that several times throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. A great spot, if you want to flip and look at it or just make a note for later, is in Revelation 6.11, right? Believers are dressed in white up there in heaven. Right? So there's this scene here. John's building this picture for us to imagine, to think about, to, to let dwell and, and fill our minds. We've got the throne standing right there, not sitting, not placed, not inconsequent. That throne is standing, firm, won't falter, won't be moved. It's standing with our ruler God, reigning in power and glory and majesty, sovereign over all, on the throne, surrounded Right, by those whom he saved, who he's drawn to himself, who are now reigning in heaven above with him. Our God is good. Our God is good. And we've got this incredible picture of what's going on there. Let's move on to verse 5. It says this, From the throne we see flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. 
right? So now we've got thunder and lightning from the throne, right? When have God's people seen this before, right? Think back to Exodus again, Exodus 19, as the presence of God descends where? Down on Mount Sinai, and we know it's the presence of God, and we know it's the power of God because of the thunder and lightning that accompanies his presence right there. We'll see that several more times throughout the book of Revelation, but it's the power and the presence of God. Before the throne, there's the seven fiery torches. We know that it represents the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's described back again in Revelation chapter 1. So we see this, we know this, and, and we're building on the things that we've learned throughout the book of Revelation. I want you to think about something, right? The fullness of the Holy Spirit is before the throne of God in heaven. Where else is the Holy Spirit? And dwelling the hearts and the lives of believers. Think about that. The Holy Spirit before the throne of God in heaven and in the heart and the life of believers, right? The Holy Spirit that dwells in you goes before God, right? The power of the Holy Spirit that's there in the throne room of heaven resides in the heart and the life of believers here on earth as well. Listen, if you've ever felt weak, if you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt desperate, if you've ever felt hopeless, if you've ever felt trapped in sin, like there was no escape or nowhere for you to go, I want you to let this encourage you, right? The, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised us, right? That would reside in those who have trusted in him, right? It's before the throne of God. Right? As we see this reality, this heavenly reality, I want to slow down and just take a second to remember our reality as believers. The promised Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the ability, the capability of the Holy Spirit, the throne of heaven, and in the heart and the life of believers. Think about that, the Ephesians series we just went through, right? We ended it a few weeks ago. Months and months in the book of Ephesians. And we, we saw that over and over again, how, how the Holy Spirit worked in us and moved us from death to life. Right, from, from lost and orphans to being children of God, right? Co-heirs with Christ because of what the Holy Spirit does in and through us. And the same Holy Spirit before the throne. Verse 6, also before the throne, a great sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion... The second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's look at these four creatures for just a second. They're described in Isaiah 6. We see them in Ezekiel 1. We see them in Ezekiel 10, right? This is not the only time this is described for us. In Scripture, we get a picture of this all throughout God's Word, and there's a lot of things that we could drill down on, on with these creatures. I don't want to get super hung up, so I'll mention a couple of things, and then again, I want to get us to what they're doing and what they're saying, right, in this passage of Scripture. The lion could represent the king, right, the, the king of the animals, and over and over again throughout history, that's the picture that's there. The ox represents a servant. What does an ox do? It exercises its power for the benefit of of others. It's a servant, a service kind of animal. The man, they're the pinnacle of God's creation here on earth and an eagle. What's an eagle do? 
It soars in the heavens, right? And is often pictured as deity in Scripture. So there's a lot to learn from their appearance, but there's so much more to learn from what they say. Look at verse 8. Day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Adrian Rogers, when, when he wrote about this passage of Scripture, he referred to those four living creatures as God's cheerleaders, right? Around the throne, never ceasing to describe the holiness of God, right? We can have some questions and we can wrestle with their appearance and, and talk and debate and look at their appearance. It might leave some questions, but the message that they bring is crystal clear. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. Who's holy? God's holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. They were saying the same thing back in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm an Aggie, so my math's not awesome, um, but that would be like 800 years before, right? They're saying the same thing. John's experience in heaven 800 years later, they're saying the same thing. That since they've been created, and the Bible says eternally, they will be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's sort of the pinnacle of this chapter as they describe the holiness, as they proclaim the holiness of God. Listen, John's heavenly experience is just getting started. He's going to see a lot more. He's going to record a lot more, write a lot more, tell us a lot more. But here we see this incredible picture of the holiness of God, pure, unchanging, and worthy of our praise. And my hope, my prayers, that knowledge, that revelation of the holiness of God will move us to a place to where our response, our one response, our only response is to worship God. Third blank, same word, worship God, right? And it's the same word because there's nothing else we can do, right? No other response, no other attitude, no other way to process what we're reading and understanding about our God and to worship him. And we see that in verse 9. Who, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, what do they do? They fall down, right? They fall down before him who's seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever. They fall down and they worship God. They cast their crowns. The crowns are off their head and they cast them before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you and only you created all things and by your will they existed and they were created. Our response to God's holiness is worship. The elders fall down before God as an act of worship. They cast their crowns before God as an act of worship. What God has given to them in that crown, they give back to him. They see that what they have, it's a gift from God. It wasn't earned, it wasn't deserved, but it was a gift that God gave to them that they immediately give right back. Listen, they in their act of worship withhold nothing from the Holy One that reigns on the throne. And listen, as I read this, I'll, I'll just, it just brings me to this honest place of, of, of self-examination. It brings me to this place of repentance, 
right, as I read this and I come before a holy God, and, and if, if I know that God's holy, if I believe what I'm reading here in the book of Revelation, I have to ask myself if, if my response in worship is in line with what I see here of their response in worship. Do I live my life in, in worship and response to the holiness of God? And I think that's a fair question to ask of all of us. Do we live our lives in response as an act of worship to a holy God, I mean, do our motives, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our deeds, why do we do what we do? Is it our, our pleasure, our benefit, our idea, our comfort, or are we living in light of this holy God? Are we worshiping him with the way that we live? Not just when we sing, and we're going to sing in just a minute, and we want to sing, right? Is this act of worship back to him, but, but it's much more than just singing. It's living this life of worship, and here's a simple way to, to filter that: Do what I do? I do what I do to bring glory to God, right? Do I live my life in a way that brings glory to God? Do I work at my job in a way that brings glory to God? Do I love my spouse and my kids in a way that brings glory to God? Do I love and serve my neighbor and those that, that God puts in my path in a way that's going to bring glory to God? Listen, knowing that God's holy, that he's sitting on the throne, that he's in control, that he's sovereign, right? They fall down and worship to, to him before the throne. Do I fall down and worship him with my life right here on earth? We also see they, they throw their crowns. They cast them before the throne. The other question I asked myself as I wrestle through this was this, do I hold anything back? Do we hold anything back from him? Is there anything that we would hold on so tightly that we wouldn't be willing to give up to the Lord in an act of worship? Do I throw down my time, my resources, my talent, my treasure? Do I throw down the good things, the bad things? Do I throw down the things and circumstances that God's given? Do I give them back to him and allow him to use them for his glory is an act of worship. Look again at what they're saying down in verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Right? They, they said, you're worthy, our Lord and our God. I have an idea of where they got those words, right? Th those words actually, right, in John's day, they, they were introduced as words that, that must be said to the emperor, right? To the emperor back then, they would say, worthy are you, and they were told to call the emperor our Lord and our God. But that's not who they're describing here, right? They're describing the one true God that sits on the throne, the one by whom all things were created, the one by whom all things continue to exist, and, and by the way, the one by whom we continue to exist, seated on the throne. There's one who's worthy, there's one who's Lord, one who's God, one who's our creator and our sustainer. Our response, our only response is to worship God. Would you pray with me? We're going to have a chance to respond and, and worship through song in just a minute because I feel like that's what this passage is just driving us towards worship. But with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I just want to take a second for, for us to think about God's word and what we read tonight. For us to, to think about the incredible image of a holy God sitting and ruling and reigning from his heavenly throne. 
and the worship that's going on before the throne. The creatures that are crying out, holy, 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 who are going to be doing it for eternity. Right? And those that are there responding in worship. And I just want to ask us to take a second where we're at in our seats to pray and to thank God for being a holy God who is worthy of our praise and who's worthy of our worship. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.